You're listening to the podcast for Inforum, an innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club. Buy tickets to upcoming live events in San Francisco at inforumsf.org. Want even more Inforum? Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as InforumSF. Thank you guys so much for coming. Hello. <laughs> and welcome to tonight's program with Inforum and the Commonwealth Club. I'm Roman Murdov, artist, author, and professor at the California College of the Arts, and I'm delighted to be with you all tonight. Tonight... Yeah, there's two tonights. Why did he write that? We're pleased to welcome Liana Fink, a New Yorker cartoonist and author of the new book, Excuse Me, Cartoons, Complaints, and Notes to Self. Liana, thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it's a very short talk. So. Okay, so... Um, should we show one thing, then I'll yeah. say something clever, and you show another one. Yeah. yeah. Should I show... Let me show ten. Should I show ten? Yeah. Okay. They're fast. Excuse me. This is the cover of my book. Ooh. And you're going to get two per screen, but in the book it's one per screen. This is an excerpt from the love and dating section of the book. It's... The book is um, things that are, I, I don't know what to call them. They're kind of cartoons, but they're not necessarily funny. So um, I realized at some point that funny and direct are interchangeable. Um, I started making these when I was a kind of, like somewhat encouraged, but not encouraged enough to not be frustrated beginning New Yorker cartoonist. And I started posting my own drawings on Instagram. Um, and I realized, so New Yorker cartoons are supposed to be funny. And you have, like, they're a kind of two-part thing where you have the setup and then the punchline. And I realized with a single panel cartoon that you don't necessarily need the two-point thing if you just have one thing instead of the two thing it can be direct rather than funny, and both are really well-suited to the single-panel cartoon format. So these are mostly kind of direct rather than funny. Um, and I, these are all things I posted on Instagram. This is the love and dating section. One, how to find romance. Put yourself in hundreds of dangerous and humiliating situations. Don't let yourself be destroyed or broken. Never give up. Forget, forget, forget. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Pretend not to notice the unfairness. Otherwise, what are we living for? <laughs> Trust me. These are separate. Trust me. I'm an algorithm. <laughs> Amount of love I need. Whoop. Amount of love I can take. <laughs> I'm counting. The two people who get it. A, you. B, a guy you only know through the internet. <laughs> this one hasn't been popular in New York. Let's see about here. Waiting patiently for my meek prince. Somewhere. <laughs> Being single but open. It's a woman hanging from a fishing line. And she says, now I just wait. <laughs> um, I don't think that works if you're the one who's waiting to be eaten. It, wait, it works better if you're the one who's waiting for prey to eat. These alarms do not misfire. Um, that's not funny. Don't laugh. It's about... Um, Sorry. I think... <laughs> fine, it's funny. It was... Um, it's about... I think I wrote it when I was in a dating phase of life, which for me, blessedly, have been very short terms <laughs> between bad relationships. But it's like after you've been on the first date, if you feel like this terror in your head and this terror in your chest, that means something. You don't know what it means, but it means something. It may, might mean that someone hasn't texted you yet, and that's a valid thing to worry about. <laughs> don't worry about my body language. I don't mean anything by it. <laughs> And then these are three phases of dating someone early on. Me, 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 me. And then he stops. 
and then he vanishes and you're like, he doesn't love me anymore. <laughs> Part one, do I like... This one's... I, it's even hard to explain. This one, kind of like the alarms, um, signaled me realizing something profound about dating. Um, and I tried to put it on paper, and I'm not sure I did that successfully. Part one, do I like you? That's like before you've met someone. It's it's really, at least from the perspective of whatever I am, it's very stressful to decide whether to go on a first date with someone you're meeting through the internet because you're putting a lot on the line there. Um, so you're obsessively wondering, do I like you enough to actually meet you? If not, I will not meet you. To, and then you do meet him. And then two is, do you like me? Because once you've met someone, your ego is in his hands, not in yours, no matter who he is. All you care about is, does he like you? Um, and then if he does like you and he shows that he likes you by asking you on more dates and maybe like marrying you, the next step is, do you really? And it just keeps going on from there. The ultimatum, it's me or your confidence. I'm going to say this is 10 and we could do more later. Does the technology work this way or should I just blow through a bunch of them. Okay, we'll come back to it. Okay. Uh, well, I think the, the amount of time you took in explaining them kind of highlights one of the qualities of your work. Uh, it has that lightness and a kind of unfinishedness to it that I think makes you stand out nicely in that it doesn't spell everything out, but it leaves a lot of empty room. And uh, what you described uh, of it being not quite cartoons, I think, is also quite true. Because it's, uh, it doesn't really fit into all those categories, right? Yeah. I don't... Yeah. <laughs> but I'm curious, like, was that a conscious decision to stop and not go that extra step that makes sure every single person gets it fully? I think it was. I think... Well, I think I would go all the steps if I knew how to make exactly what I wanted to make. But I think I've been trained so far to to make something that I don't necessarily want to make. That it was enough of it was enough of a of a move to scale it back and not tell any lies. And I haven't gotten to the point yet where I'm scaling it forward in a new direction and telling the truth. Um, and I don't know. I don't know whether I ever will. I think. It, it, it'll come with confidence. Maybe I will, but I think I'll miss this point if I ever get more polished in my own direction. What do you mean by polished? Polished, drying more nicely, being more... Um, I don't know. These are all... like These all come from something that I'm feeling, but they're also... They're kind of like poems. They're open to interpretation and you can think they're what you're feeling rather than what I'm feeling. And I think once you, I, I think poems are like that, but like novels or something more, more worked on or like the writer is saying something and the reader knows exactly what the writer is saying rather than the reader is able to interpret it to feel what the reader is saying. Mm -hmm. So I might get more like a novel and less like a poem at some point. And it's not going to be my decision. It's going to be where I'm at in my life. But I'll miss this if that happens. Well, that, that actually reminds me of one of the pages in this book, somewhere around here. Uh, spoiler alert. And it's, it's like it doesn't have any drawings, which I think is also quite a bold move for visual artists to have a lot of uh, sayings, whatever you call them. Words. That, yeah, that don't have, a, <laughs> don't have a seductive image. To, and it says... Uh, Poem equal window and uh, novel oh prose equal door. Is that right? Wow, I don't remember that. <laughs> okay, well maybe I made it up. Who cares? <laughs> uh, sounds like something you would do. It does. Yeah, I'm trying to think what that would mean if it said that. Um, but that's what I like about. It. Yeah, I don't know what it means. I remember but. having one that was like windows are better than doors. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause you can walk through them. Yeah, you don't. A door implies responsibility. A door. Right. There's two things you can do with a window. Look at, at it. 
or or, or walk through it. No. <laughs> Try again. Well, why not? The door you walk through. Right. Um, Although, okay, I'm having a horrible day today, and one the less horrible thing that happened to me after I smashed my phone and hurt my knee is that I ac- I'm sitting in a hotel with a glass. It has a bathtub, but it also has a shower door, a glass shower door, which I've never encountered before, and I walked right into it and bumped my head. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, that's a window and a door. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I think your previous book, Passing for Human, is something like that. A door. No. A, a, window. a window that's also a door. Uh, okay, it's a book, obviously. But um, it's, it's, a a, it's a memoir, right? It's a graphic memoir. Yeah, yeah I think that's... That is a better way. I mean, that is what you are the author. Obviously, you have the no, say in this. No, the reader. You're the reader. But, you know, uh, Nabok, Nabokov's memoir, yes. Speak Memory, uh, he also adamantly called it a novel. I am the shadow of the waxwing slain. That's not That's the other Speak one. Memory. Uh, that's Pale But fire. it is about glass. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bird beating against the window. Yeah. But uh, uh, you know, he never like tried to hide the fact that it is about him. But he did insist on calling it a novel. He called it a novel. I think so. Um, maybe someone will correct me. Maybe not. Um, but I think that book, uh, not to distract from this book, but I said uh, right. Uh, <laughs> well, I think that book. If you haven't read it, read it. You should. It's great. Yeah. And. Yeah, and Is that um, your, fa- your favorite by him. We've talked about. No, no, I'm talking about your book. Oh wait, thank you. This is great as well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, pass, passion for human. Oh, con- difference between me and Nabokov. His favorite color is purple. Mine is pink. That's it. What's yours? <laughs> My favorite color. Yeah, you're colorblind. All right. Sorry. So I don't get to have a favorite color. So your favorite color is like reddish green. Uh, no. Not even uh, in the top ten. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for suggesting. <laughs> anyway, the the right the memoir slash novel, uh, graphic novel, I should say. It is. Uh, it does read narratively, right? But you do in a lot of things in it that are that can't be called poetic. Say rewriting the first chapter several times. Yeah. And uh, certain pages can be taken on their own and. And read outside of context, which I yeah. think uh, also makes it not quite what you would expect. Yeah, to be honest, I had a lot of trouble writing that book. I have a lot of trouble with narrative, as did Nabokov in his way, I think. I think, um, yeah, based on something he wrote in Look at the Harlequins, I think, Harle- yeah, Harlequins, I think he had a spatial learning disability. I think I have that too. I think that translates to being really bad with narrative. Um, I, I, in that, in my last book, Passing for Human, I start chapter one over and over. And the reason I did that is I really couldn't get past chapter one and I wrote it over and over. And then I just compiled them into a book. And I think as I get more confident and more competent, I'm going to learn how to tell a narrative. And I think I'll miss the old confusion when that happens, but I don't, I wish I could fake the confusion. Like as with these, these are so messy and that, that comes from confusion and I'm not going to be able to fake it when it goes away. And unless I get really smarmy, but yeah, but there's something nice about like being really honest about what you can't do and putting it at the forefront that doesn't feel nice in the moment, but feels nice afterwards. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, so far, everything you've done doesn't fit into any uh, concrete form. Does any graphic work, I wonder? Yeah, blankets. Oh, g- great. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Nothing. Uh, <laughs> Craig Thompson's it's blankets. Fine. Yeah. Um, but you do mention also somewhere towards the very end, um, among... I think things you like or something along those like um, the holiness of story. I think is the way you put it. Right? Yeah. Holiness, yeah, holiness of story. So you do like the idea of storytelling, right? 
yeah. you, you do want to tell uh, something that's more narrative. I do. Yeah, I love, I actually love all kinds of stories. I love postmodern things. I love poetry. I love like real narrative. I still have a block against like really good, um, what's it called? Like literary fiction short, like I still don't get Alice Munro and I plan to, I'm leaving something to learn how to love soon. But yeah, I love like, I love Harry Potter and I love Nabokov and I love um, anything abstract. And, but, but I think you can't like, I don't think you could set out to write something abstract. I think that might always come from genuine confusion. And mm. I, I really would like to write something like Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Just because it's so fun to read. It's got to be so fun to write. But well, I, I don't remember who said that something like, writers don't write books. It's books who write books. What? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, and you read a bunch of books, oh, and that makes doing? you write another book. Right. I haven't read. I haven't read since the internet came. Wow. I listened to books on tape. Was that before Harry Potter? Yeah, after, oh. for me. Mm, that's a lie. Anyway. <laughs> um, well, um, okay. Uh, Steinberg uh, also comes to mind, who said something like, "I'm a writer who draws." Yeah, he said he's a writer who drives. And I think for him, it was partially out of his inability to speak English particularly well. Uh, you can't do that, and you still choose to draw. Thank you. <laughs> right. Right, yeah. He, um, he was a... I guess he never was a professional in a language that he spoke. He was living in Italy and then in the U.S., but he spoke Romanian. That's really interesting. But his like his whole family was like sign painters, so mm -hmm. maybe that came not maybe he had to tell a story because he'd been traveling so much. But it just made me think because what he said about kind of documenting confusion because that's something that he does. A lot of his cartoons don't really have a solution as yeah, such. They're kind of not always funny. And not always even questions. There are kind of like a few blocks that you can rearrange in your mind. And you have such things as well. But he's confident. He is? Oh, yeah. He's so confident. Saul Steinberg. Yeah. I think it's partly an affectation. I do, too. I think it, he's, yeah. he lies to himself in certain ways, and that confidence comes from that. But do you redraw the way he did? How did he redraw? Uh, not not that there was a specific way, but the amount that he did. I think he went through quite a lot of drafts. Yeah, I think for so. For something too. that looks crude to a naked eye. I actually, I don't know him. And I've seen Art Spiegelman exhibits, and I'm really, I love how he does so many drafts for a final thing. When I was younger, I used to always just keep the same sheet of paper because I felt like it was a failure if you threw away a piece of paper. But when I look at Art Spiegelman's work, it looks like he draws something rough and then he draws like a hundred more versions of it until he has one that looks like he had just drawn it once and it's really confident, which is different from like maybe what a painter would do, which is belabor the same piece of canvas until it looks perfect. Yeah, but also, well, cartooning is kind of a weird craft in that yeah. if you look at a painting, you can more or less see how it was made, at least a certain kind of painting that lets you see the brushstrokes. Um, with cartooning, most people kind of try to hide the process, and I yeah. think you show it quite a lot. As, as sort of I usually, act, like with these, I don't do drafts, obviously. I just do, the, I just do one, unless it's... Mm. A graph, in which case it takes me a while to figure out which is up and which is down. <laughs> do you do drafts? Oh, well, my process is insane, but it doesn't yeah. matter. But uh, it, it seems like, you, looking at your cartoons, a lot of them feel like a thought that's caught in the middle of being formed and encapsulated. How I do, um, when I need to do it, I use pretty crappy paper. I use, well... Sorry, I'm going to market it now, so forget I said that. It is Staples Bright White Printer Paper, 
and <laughs> I think the thirteen dollars. Mention the pens. I use a Muji point three eight pen, SCU, yeah, um, which are great. So I use that paper rather than rather than a fancier paper because the Muji point three eight gel pen is really finicky about what it draws on, and it doesn't like any tooth. So I like to use a really smooth paper. But the thing about that paper is it's translucent. So you could place one on top. You could place a new sheet on top of the sheet you just messed up on and trace it. And it's like the perfect amount of trace where you can't see everything, but you could see just the shape. So you kind of feel free to add new, like new facial expressions and stuff, but you feel confident about where the arms go. And it's a perfect like um, compromise between tracing and drawing or- original. Mm-hmm. So I do that for my New Yorker cartoons. When I'm doing a comic, I do so many drafts of that, and I really like to see what what the last draft was, so I use a light box. Mm. But you still retain that spontaneity and uh, that, that look. It doesn't feel belabored. Yeah, I've worked at that. I, I've had a Well, that, that's what I'm sort of trying to get yeah. at. Like, how much of it is an effort, and how much of it is just the way you actually draw? And I want to say it's an effort, but not an effort. I put a lot of effort in trying not to draw too well. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm usually kind of bad at it. And, and I mean, there's nothing more boring than like a nice, perfect drawing, in my opinion. I really am. I think of you. No offense, as someone who draws perfectly and also intuitively. I have like a small grouping of people who could do that. You, Jillian Tamaki, Eleanor Davis, maybe that's it. Just like very, like I would draw. What? The Holy Trinity. Yeah. I would draw like that if I could. But when I was younger, I tried to draw perfectly. And when I try to draw perfectly, my drawings come out really wooden. And like, I like the profiles are weird. Like you can't tell that they're 3d mm-hmm. and the shoulders are weird and the arms are wooden. And when I draw spontaneously, like the, the anatomy is kind of off, but, but like it's, I seem intelligent. Whereas when I try to draw really perfectly, it is shown that I'm not intelligent and I don't actually know where the hands and things. Yeah. Are. I mean, if, if one imagines this done as a kind of academic art school drawing, it would look pretty weird. Yeah. And, and I think it would go very much against that, the conceptual side of it as an observation or a thought or a supposition. Yeah. It's taken it, would, me, it would lose that immediacy. It's ta- I, yeah, my drawings from when, like when I first be- started being professional, like when I was maybe 25, maybe eight years ago, my, I was trying really hard and my drawings kind of look like woodcuts. Mm. And like, like they're very stiff and you could tell that each each like brush stroke I've really done 12 times Mm -hmm. with the same brush I don't know yeah I mean this may be like too much shop talk for normal people but I I know that uh, uh, I mean all all of us obsess over this idea of the the line and the emotional baggage that it carries and I I know people have worries about kind of refining it too much you know uh, i think david shrigley or someone uh you think yeah I, i remember an interview with him and he he says like i really want to draw crappy but not wacky and uh and there was a video of him just drawing the word crap 20 times and throwing away 19 of them because they're not crappy enough oh my you know? goodness so it's this idea that there's no, no such thing as beauty and uh it's it's more about the consistency and the uh appositeness of the effort to the concept behind it yeah, yeah. i feel no i put steinberg also in the category well, of yeah. draws really well but also honestly right a lot of people who draw really well the honesty disappears and i think i'm worse than most where the honesty like really disappears when i try to draw well maybe mm-hmm. shrigley too Yeah, well, so this this idea of honesty is also interesting because um, I think a lot of people aim for it and kind of overdo it. Oh, who? Well, I'm not going to name it. <laughs> well, it's it's a kind of a popular concept, sort of a person talking from the heart. You know? Yeah. And then there's a... I'm fine with I like it all. I like all the... Mem- I like memoirs. Right. 
But um, I'm thinking more about the very kind of basic level of language and line and whatnot. Because um, uh, I think everyone kind of has this sort of bullshit detectors when it feels immediately as an affectation. Yes. You know I mean? um, and the honesty, I think, is the way I see it in your work, particularly, is not just uh, about saying what do you think, but um, kind of in the way that it's translated, like the idea of kind of middle of the thought and not necessarily kind of confessional, but uh, getting at something more abstract, as you mentioned before. Yeah, like all of these come... Spreading it out. They come from things that really happen to me that are specific, and I try to pinpoint the feeling of what happens, but not the specifics. And I try not to have actual people in these, like... That I'm sure that was a real person, and I don't even remember who he was. But like, I, if I write one of these, it's usually a, a thing that's happened to me more than once, and I try to get it like the universal thing of it. Sometimes more successfully than others. I think my dating ca- cartoons are more universal and understood than like my cartoons about being freaked out by people standing like two inches too close to me in a public space, which is apparently not a universal horror, but it's my horror. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How do you generally feel about your audience? Do you resent them sometimes? No, (laughs) no. If not, why not? (laughs) I'm so grateful to them. They're generally, I, I have the business Instagram account, so I know that my audience, or I believe that my audience is mostly a bit younger than not much younger than me but a bit younger than me female and from their comments they seem so smart and great um seven percent of them live in new york city (laughs) i don't know where the the rest live yeah mine Um, mine is also the top one is new york which Oh yeah, I'm in the wrong place. You have the business that too. Yeah, I think no, I think and like sixty percent are women. I think it's re- oh yeah, yeah. Maybe more women use Instagram. Mine is no, I 70%. think they just un- they know that I understand them. Yeah, we do. <laughs> um, better than they understand themselves. Maybe the stats just tell us. I bet the stats just tell us what the usual Instagram. What do you want is. to know? So I think New York's a bigger. I don't think San Francisco would appear on the stats, even if if you have a much higher percentage of fans in San Francisco than someone else does, mm-hmm. it's a smaller city than New York. So I think the stats are skewed in that way. Right. But Wait, you, you, so can we compare other? I have after New York, it's like, I think LA, Chicago, Toronto, and Melbourne. Oh, okay. Melbourne. Melbourne. So it's like round, round, and then all the way. I think yeah. it's in Melbourne. I might be wrong. Yeah, mine is, uh, I think... LA, New York, London definitely somewhere. Oh yeah. Top three. I honestly think I have London and not Melbourne. Yeah. Taipei for some reason. Taipei. I mean why not? That's awesome. They can have it. Uh yeah. Moscow is nowhere there. <laughs> so I Maybe, did that right. Do people in Moscow use Instagram? Um oh yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, another thing I wanted to ask is uh the voices in your work are uh, a little bit different, but still always recognizable. So the voice behind the New Yorker cartoons and these, whatever you may call it, and yeah. the, the the previous book. Yeah. Uh, again, how much of this is a conscious effort and something that just comes out as you write in different forms? I guess it was a conscious effort not to have a non-voice. I think I had a non-voice for a really long time. I worked really hard and I and nothing came out. And I think that is called a non-voice. And I, it's, I, it, I draw a comparison between kind of writer's block when you're making stuff and nothing really coheres to being really shy and opening your mouth and words don't come out, which I've also experienced when I was younger. Um, so I think I, I have to kind of simplify myself for stuff to come out. I don't think I necessarily chose my voice here, which I'm very proud of because I know it is an invented voice and it's not all I speak in all the voices but it's not this voice is just one voice and it's like a little like an outfit I put on when I post on Instagram is this Mm. one voice but it figured itself out I've worked I did one advertising gig and because of that I learned how to invent a voice and I hadn't learned that yet when I made this 
when you when you do an advertising job, you have to like very consciously invent the style you'll be working in because the company you make the work for owns that style. And if you use it again, they will sue you. So like a lot of artists think you can invent your your style like it's you. It's your true soul. Advertisers know differently and they're right. But I made this at a time of innocence when I didn't know that. You're listening to a podcast of Inforum, an innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club. Support our podcast and find out about upcoming live events in San Francisco at InforumSF.org. Do you, did you invent your style? Well, I for the longest time also thought I don't have a voice. Yeah. Uh, or rather I could dissect it. I'd be like 20% a bulk of this percent Joyce and whatever. Joyce. Um, Bruce? Any Bruce? What? Bruce? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I think when my one attempt to write a normal book was happening, the, the doing nothing one, I had an actual editor and then she suggested some edits and I was so unhappy with them then I realized that, no, I actually do have a voice. <laughs> so okay. it was like the intrusion of other hands that made me realize that there is a certain way that I put words in sentence that is actually mine. I still listen to editors completely, but it doesn't always work. And then the artist in me, like the snob in me is like, oh, that's because you're a true artist and an editor. It doesn't know you. But then the uh, self-conscious egoless woman in me is like, well, the editor knows and you're just inept. And I think both of those things are true. Is there uh, a back and forth with the New Yorker editors? No, but there is with the Random House editor. He's mm -hmm. extremely hands-on. New Yorker editors, no. They're not, they're not, um, they take things as they are pretty much. By hands-on, do you mean it's a matter of style or actual narrative sequence of things? He, he line edits. His name is Andy Ward. He's at Random House. He's incredible. He, He comes from magazines. He used to work at Esquire, I think, and GQ. And so he prints everything out and he goes over it with a red pen like three times. And I, lo I love that. I, I've worked with other, I work with other editors sometimes who read something and then they say, well, I'm just not getting the, f the characters just not coming through. And they write a, long, a paragraph about it. And that makes no sense to me. I want them to, to like print it out and circle the parts that bother them. And I can work with that. If I agree with them, I don't know. I'm still learning to know when I agree with an editor and when I don't, and that's the problem. But you stand your ground if you feel like it's if you feel confident about it, you, right? So that cartoon, the, uh, these alarms do not misfire. I sometimes feel like a mm -hmm. horror when when an editor says something and I don't know if I agree with it, and the horror is how I know I don't <laughs> know if I agree with it. But I still don't know when the editor is right and when the editor is wrong i think i yeah i can't explain this but i think i have a learning disability that made me bad at algebra and that also makes me bad at narrative and that also makes me a uh, weird or well something else makes me weird so i'm not great at character i don't relate to i don't understand the concept of a main character who you're rooting for because i've never been that character you know which is also sexism like i've never been The character that you know is going to succeed, probably maybe because I'm a woman, but like if an editor says to me, we're not rooting for your main character, I'm like, what are you, like, have you believe you've been fed these lies and you believe them that there's a character you're going to root for who's actually a person? Like, we don't root for the I, we, we want the I to be destroyed by another I, like I, I, not I. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But but I still think those editors are right, and I'm like, there's something wrong with me that I don't root for the eye. Mm, right. Well, there's the eye of the narrator, the eye of the writer, and the eye of the reader. Or in uh, my case, there is no eye. Right. Yeah. Just words. Just you. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely believe in the prevalence of style over, or rather, I should say that style is substance, you know, and that's. Uh, Uh, characters and whatnot, it's a kind of a byproduct of uh, the stringing of words in the sentence and the lines that draw themselves. And the story and the characters, they come out of this proclivities and eccentricities of the author, you know? Yeah. Like you can't control it, as you, some would say. The books write themselves, in other words. Yeah, yeah no, no, I believe okay. you, but I don't think I'm there yet. 
Like, I think I write because I need to write, but I don't know what's going to, like, I'm not happy with what comes out yet. Well, that's fine. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but is, is it, there a compulsive element to yes. this? Yes. Mm-hmm. I write so I don't have to hang out with people. Right. <laughs> do you do journaling? No. <laughs> Why not? Because you don't, I hate that you don't know, you don't know what you have to, like, which part is important to write and which is not important to write. When I try to, even when I'm writing, when I'm trying to write a new thing, um, I'm trying to make, write something right now. And it's all the scenes take place in trains and buses because I don't realize that the scenes between characters who are meaningful take precedence over the scene in the bus mm. where you're like someone elbows you and like I'm just the the whole scene the whole thing screenplay is about like oh on this bus the character got elbowed and when I journal the same thing happens I can write 10 pages about getting elbowed in a bus and I don't write anything about my family or about my love life or about like um, mortality or like about like friendships or about the environment or like the any the the country whatever like it's all just about a stranger who elbowed me in a bus and that makes me uncomfortable to waste time on that and I don't like to be in charge of how yeah when I'm writing for an audience I'm at least very aware of what they want so I'll try to hold back on the the tiny things Mm -hmm. yeah but a lot of your work is still obsessed with the the little things. And I know. <laughs> it is kind of impossible not to express yourself, you know? I know, I care. I care I mean, about you, that. You can write 10 things about someone elbowing you, and it will still be an expression of your soul and your preoccupations. Yeah. And if I do it, it will be a very different one. Yeah, because you're a man. Right. You're probably the one elbow, elbowing. You know? he'll be like today i elbowed 12 women in a bus yeah well that's my journal yeah and that it was very nice i got to sit down right (laughs) well yeah you gotta elbow them to sit down you know um but no i i'm a frail man i get elbowed pretty often yeah yeah (laughs) i'm not i don't need your sympathy sorry (laughs) um do you feel the need to be funny no, I don't think of myself as funny. I have a funny brother. By comparison, I'm not funny. Well, you do make people laugh. Thank you. I know. I I think I'm honest, and people sometimes laugh when they're uncomfortable. But I'm not, like, funny. But I'm not not funny. I But I appreciate people who are not funny, which is rare. Right. <laughs> well, do you, do you see a kind of distinction between humor and comedy? Concepts? No. Do you? Maybe. I think comedy I would see as something that aims to be funny and humor is a kind of general lightness. Oh, That's yeah. kind of putting a smile to your face, but not necessarily a punchline. Oh, I love it. And yeah. I feel like that's what your work leans towards rather than maybe the New Yorker stuff is more in the comedy territory, while this would be more in that. Yeah. Anyway, this is my imaginary distinction. I learned to make conversation, like, in my 20s, like, really late. I was shy as a young person, and then after that, after I stopped being so shy that I couldn't talk, I still didn't know how to make small talk. And then in my 20s, I had a friend who was a compulsive liar, (laughs) and she told the best stories. Um, I lived in... I was living in Paris and she was there too and that's why we were friends and it was so nice to have such a close friend which wasn't a usual thing for me and I just like I realized that you don't need to tell the truth in order to entertain people and she's really the person who taught me how to just make conversation and so I think I'm kind of channeling her when I talk like I'm trying I'm not necessarily trying to make people laugh but I'm trying to entertain them and it doesn't it it's totally not connected to telling the truth or only saying what's necessary to say so i am always aware of that otherwise i wouldn't open open my mouth at all and i wouldn't pick up a pen at all like if i think that's why i don't journal like if i Mm. who are you entertaining by journaling yourself like that is so weird so why would i pick up a pen if not to entertain hmm do you see the communication is the function the kind of final function of that or is it sort of the joy of just 
making lines and words stick together and form something. In other words, if you were on a desert island, would you still make cartoons? No. Really? No. Would you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> That's my I should. ideal life. It would make me happy, too, yeah. but I don't live to Dream make myself happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. I think that's why, like, when I was younger, I read a lot, but I also wasn't producing anything because I didn't feel like I had an audience. And now that I feel like I have an audience, I don't read at all. It feels like a sin. Like, I don't want to spend time reading. It's so sad because I love to read. It just feels like this puritanical thing in me that won't let me waste time reading when I should be producing. I would read on a desert island. Mm. Well, maybe that's when you'll catch on. Yeah. Um. Do you feel pressured by having that audience and having a pretty high degree of popularity? Do you have things that you want to do but feel a little un- not quite ready? You know, I don't feel that popular. I have friends with bigger Instagram accounts than me, so in a way I just feel like kind of jealous and bitter. But... <laughs> but uh... Yeah, there are some things I don't make cartoons about because I know people are watching, and those things include strollers. I stopped making cartoons about big strollers. I live in a big stroller part of New York called Park Slope. Oh, no. Yeah. And it's just like you have to be there, but if you're there, you understand that like strollers can be so like horrible. <laughs> and it's not that I hate kids. It's that I hate kids in Park Slope. <laughs> mm. <laughs> they're just so the kids are like little adults who like play 12 instruments and the adults are like big babies who are just like so like oh my god so worried that their kid like is like catching a draft or something and it's just <laughs> over the top and the strollers are like the size of the sidewalk and no one gets out of the way for each other and it's really annoying and it's really fun to make cartoons about but I stopped because people get so angry. Did you get any death threats from infants? Or their mm, parents? Parents. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I I know what you mean. I have been there. It's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. It's I've chosen to live there, you know? They're fine. Well, I got to do something with them. Yeah. I chose to live there, so I do like them. But I need to not like them because I don't want to become like them. Mm. Very not diverse neighborhood. Yeah, what happens when they grow up? I think they... Yeah, do they just become the I mean, parents? What do they put in the strollers? Oh, like more... The babies become grown-ups yeah. and then more babies go in the strollers. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's how why it's you never been. see empty strollers around. That's how it's always been. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious, what else would you want to do? Do you have any kind of plans for, I don't know, ceramics or no. TV show? <laughs> yes. No, and then yes. Okay. We'll see. I'm going to LA tomorrow. Right. We'll have some meetings. Yeah, but I was just curious, do, do you feel kind of like sometimes limited by the form that you've mastered? Because you're clearly very confident in it, even though you said you don't feel, but... To us, you seem confident. I feel limited by the single panel. I want to mm-hmm. get better at the graphic novel. I feel limited by... Gosh, should I say this? I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I feel limited by the scope of the audience of the graphic novels in the mm-hmm. world. And I feel like the graphic novels that get super famous are sometimes super boring. I love graphic novels. The ones I love are never super famous. And that makes me think that if I made my ideal graphic novel like a hundred people would buy it. And that, like I do, I don't know. I don't, I'm ambitious and I do want people to read what I make. And that feels like a very weird um, dichotomy that if I made the perfect graphic novel, no one would read it. And if I made a graphic novel, like if I wanted a graphic novel that everyone would read, um, a lot of people would read it and I wouldn't like it. And that, And I don't like TV. I'll just put that out there. I just, I can't, I have a neurological um, weirdness where I just don't like using my eyes and ears at the same time. Um, But so that would, I I shouldn't go into TV. I don't love TV, (laughs) but um, I do like that TV is so smart and that 
a lot of people some, sometimes seem to love great TV. Like there isn't that same dichotomy with TV as with graphic novels. But things are changing and maybe it's good to stick with graphic novels and make the good fight. Like there's, I feel like I could spend a life figuring out how to make graphic novels and I would love to do that. Well, I feel graphic novels kind of became boring when they became graphic novels. And it was the same with the novel. You know, in the kind of pre-novel days, you would have really weird stuff. Like what? Like Tristram Shandy. You know, a book where there's an entire page that's just black. Yeah? Right? Black what? Just black Ink. page, yeah. I don't remember. That was, An you know, uh, before Dickens, before anything. That yeah. Nowadays it would be considered postmodernist. Yes. Uh, I mean, all early novels are very strange. You know, like Don Quixote. Oh, God. I haven't been able to get through either of those books. Well, it doesn't matter. It, just the, the idea that... And the same with graphic novels or comics, as they used to be called. There sort of uh, wasn't any rules of what it should be and that's when people could do anything but there's still there still aren't but the ones there's a i don't know the ones that make it in the regular publishing world seem to be more something like more linear i guess i don't think graph, a graphic novel lends itself to being linear it's just like words are word 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 graphic novel is much more spatially diffuse mm -hmm. and i think it lends itself to like a diary in a way that words don't sometimes but those don't those don't get reviewed in the times yeah okay uh if you have a question uh keep it to yourself for three minutes and then voice it but you can think about it now we having some silence first mm? what are, what's happening now in three minutes they will ask questions until then until then they will not okay yeah <laughs> okay uh Well, let's say, is there a kind of primacy between uh, words and pictures, or is it simultaneous in the way you read and write? I think that words and pictures come from ex the way I said that I don't like to listen to sounds and see images at the same time. I feel the same way about words and pictures, and I don't know if that's how everyone feels, but it's how I feel, and I think that's been really nice on the Instagram to use words and pictures to fill the same space and sometimes not use pictures at all and sometimes not use words at all and when they're together it's because they want to be together and not because <laughs> they have to be together I had that realization when I was exploring being neurodiverse and reading a lot of books about aut mild autism and there was a theory that the reason autistic people don't like to make eye contact is that You don't, they don't want to look at a face while listening to a voice because they're redundant. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of feel that way. So is it uh, the whole art, art practice on your part, is it in a way a way of making sense of life and communicating? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I make these when there's something I'm worried about and I have a habit of like circular thinking, but I've found that if I draw something, I solve it and then I don't have to think about it again. Mm-hmm. And I could think about something else. What about tragedy and comedy? Do you feel like they have to be connected? I don't know. <laughs> Can <laughs> you have think, one without the other? Yeah, I guess the thing about me and tragedy and comedy is I see them in really tiny things that um, I care a lot more about someone elbowing me on the subway than about something truly tragic. And that's a shame. I, I don't... Yeah, I can't fathom. I think because like people make me uncomfortable, I'm much more attuned to little things. I don't feel I feel close to my immediate family. I don't feel enough close to everyone I should feel close to. Um, but I do feel close to strangers or hatred of strangers in a way that is inappropriate. <laughs> but you choose to live in New York, which is full of them. So many strangers. And a lot of uh, people who would elbow you. So Unlike, say, here, where they would pat you, maybe. I don't know. I don't... Say something. So far, my experience is otherwise. Not today, but... Yeah, but uh, what I'm getting at, there is a need of being among people, no? Yeah, I love people. I mean, I want people to love me. Mm. But sometimes they're aggressive in a way I don't understand. Okay. Uh, are we ready to do questions? Yep. If you have a question, please yeah, meet me uh, back here. 
Um, somebody actually submitted a question. You're understatedly funny. Does some of your work, specifically the funny drawings, get misunderstood? Yes. That's why, yeah, that's why I stopped drawing the strollers because I was trying to be funny and not trying to say that I hate kids. But sometimes when someone reads one who doesn't have a sense of nuance, they think that I hate the thing I'm lightly making fun of. So you have to be careful. As the audience gets bigger, you have to use a bit less nuance. But that's less about the people reading me being dumb, and it's more about the people reading me not being exactly me. Like, if you're writing for the person who's exact in exactly your place in life and has the exact same experience, you could use a lot more shorthands. And I think shorthands and nuance kind of go hand in hand. And when you're writing for someone who's over there and who's like, 40 years older than you or 20 years younger than you and a different gender and from a different country and a different political affiliation, you have to kind of spell things out more and not use the same shorthand. So I've, I think I've been using a lot less shorthand as more people have been reading my work. And it's because if, you, if I do use shorthand, people misinterpret it. Hi, uh, my name is Janice. Very nice to meet you. So I used to live in New York. And one of the reasons why I really like um, your work is because I feel that it's um, very um, synonymous with the spirit of New York, which is that it's very direct, but it's very complicated. So it's direct, but many things are happening at once. Like if you look at one of the panels, it's like, it's like funny, it's direct, it's shy, it's like you want to root for a person, there's hope, there's like a lot of things at once. So my hypothesis is that it's either that um, New York has influenced your work or because you are like that, that's why you like New York. Um, so my question to you actually is that, is there any other like life experiences or like things that you think you want to experience that will shape your work in a certain way? Thank, Thank you. I love, I love that so much. Thank you. I, I'm a weird mixture in that I grew up not in New York. I grew up kind of outside, like in, in the vicinity of New York, but really in an exurban area, like almost country let's say so I'm not a person who's good at crossing the street with the walk signal and I'm not good at being in a crowd but my family is from New York and it was always understood that New York was like the place we were like kind of taking a vacation from when I was growing up so I feel deeply like a New Yorker but I guess I feel like a human who's been raised by animals and then who knows they're human but when they come back to humans, they don't know how to behave among humans. That's how I feel in New York. Um, if there's anywhere else I want to learn to put in my work, I don't know. That sounds really nice. I tend to love, um, I like my favorite comics um, are often Canadian. So maybe I should go to Canada and learn how that happens. I think it has something to do with like the Canadian um, government funding more avant-garde art. So there's more of that in the spotlight. Maybe there's a lot of art like that in America. I just don't get to see it. Um, no, they definitely have more funding. Yeah. For art, yeah. I like Koyama Press yeah. a whole lot. And I don't know. Yeah. But no, I haven't thought about that. But I do think about leaving. I have a real love-hate relationship with New York and I think about leaving, but the places I think about leaving for are so much work. Well, I don't think about leaving for here because my family is in New York. So that this would be a step up. But the places I think of leaving for are New Jersey and <laughs> the Catskills. <laughs> and I just like the idea of it really wearies me. <laughs> Do you feel pressured to be relatable or vulnerable? Yeah. Um, I feel pressure to... I think I'm naturally vulnerable. I can't help it. When, I think when I talk about getting more confident, I mean getting less vulnerable. And I think that will happen to me and is happening to me. And I'll kind of miss being more vulnerable, but I'm not going to like pretend to be vulnerable when I'm not because I'm a good person. Um um, but I do feel pressure to be relatable. We've talked a lot about Nabokov here, and I find that I don't, I can't make cartoons about Nabokov, love him as I do, because my audience does, hasn't read him and doesn't share my point of reference about him. So, yeah, I, I really do think about what I put into the world based on my audience. And, but I think, I think 
I think that's great. I think I'm very lucky to have an audience and I want to speak to them and I want them to hear me. This is our last audience question. Hi, I'm last audience question. My name is David. In the same way that you talked about the tension between staying in New York, uh, there's a lot of things that you love about living there, but not being sure if you want to leave or not. Um, In some ways, I feel the same way about Instagram and about social media. Um, A lot of all of the work that you shared was shared to your Instagram, and there was a lot of good in being able to uh, connect with your fans and connect to their emotionality behind your work. Um, I love to take photos. I'm not very good at it, but I love the sensation of using a real camera and then trying to practice. Um, But I don't really know what to do with them besides putting them on Instagram. Instagram is where my friends are. Um, But that room is beginning to feel more and more toxic. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm wondering if it wasn't for Instagram or even further, if you didn't use social media at all, um, what medium would you use to connect with people who want to consume and interact with your work? I don't know. I don't know what, what I'm, I doubt Instagram's going to last forever and I don't know what I'll do after. And, um, I agree that Instagram is toxic and that it's owned by Facebook and that, and that Facebook has hastened the end of our country. And I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I'm civic minded, but not to the, to the utmost level. If I were, I don't think I would be using Instagram. I don't know why I'm not, but I've, I'm very lucky that I'm not. I don't know. It's like, it's in my, it's good for me to not be because then I get to post on Instagram and it's been really nice for me. I do as a, as a very, 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 very slightly neurodiverse person, I, the Instagram, the internet has been really helpful for me. I didn't think I would like when I was, 18, I thought I would never have a relationship because I would be too shy. I thought I would never have friends and like internet dating and chat rooms have like, like, like given me, gave me a social life and that made me confident enough to have real social life. So I think I'm not positive, but I hypothesize that I'm, um, quote normal in a way that I wouldn't have been without the internet. And I owe it a lot. Um, yeah, so I I have really mixed feelings about the internet. I don't think it's evil. I think it shook things up a lot, and it's shaking things up a lot. I, I guess I think it's kind of an amoral entity that's very, very powerful, and we're still seeing what it's going to do. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, f- trust your gut, though. If you don't love Instagram, that you're right, and you should listen to your feelings. Um, but I don't feel that, I don't really feel that way. And I'm, I'm writing it out until it becomes even more evil. (laughs) (laughs) Something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. Well, you do engage with the trolley fellas a little more than most people, I would say. I have fewer trolls than most people. I think, I think I'm just, I'm like not I'm not the cutting edge of liberal. Like, I'm, like, feminist, but I'm, like, such a straight white lady that I think the trolls are out bothering Mm -hmm. other people who are more on the forefront. So my trolls are more, like, well-meaning, like, Park Slope parents who are just, like, like, do you think breastfeeding is evil? I'm like, no. (laughs) No, you misunderstood. But um, they're they're really fun. Like, I think I, I, I have a lot of anger and comebacks that I keep inside in real life. And it's fun to let those out on the internet. And I've been learning how to let them out in a way that is not raw and horrible, but is just kind of funny and like kind of acidic. Do you see it as in character as part of your art practice or is it just you being snarky? It's just me being snarky, but it's become part of that. I mean, it feels like it's in the same voice. Yeah. It's kind of pleasant to see. Thank you. Someone going like, this is not nicely drawn, and you would be... Yeah, the worst is when... Well, it's because troll... Like, there are only so many mean things you can say, so I've gotten Mm. each of the mean things. You got, like, an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, I wish. Uh, That's next on my... On that bombshell. um, (laughs) uh, It is an informed tradition to ask all our speakers the following question. 
What is your 60-second idea to change the world? Liana, let's hear it. Uh, uh, very different tone. Aww. Yeah, they didn't specify if it's the idea should be 60 seconds or the execution of it. <laughs> but it, it could be two ideas. Yeah. I guess I care. I don't know. I think the thing I think most about is that we don't think we're animals, but we're animals. And we've mm. built this whole life, this whole civilization based on the fact that we're different from animals, but we are animals. But like, I don't have any idea to implement based on that i guess the go-to idea would be not to have pets anymore but i'm for more pets instead of less pets do you have pets no (laughs) i don't have pets but if you see a cat would you interact with it yes in a mutually beneficial way in a for me a beneficial for me way right would you consider being a pet to a cat no okay but no i would consider it i consider it all the time so i i know that there's something wrong i think leashes are weird but what are you gonna do so i guess the idea is get rid of the entirety of humanist tradition right i think the idea is teach more animals how to speak (laughs) i think we could if we tried a little and i think some people do it'll break a lot of hearts because they'll say something we don't like they'll finally say what they were been meaning to say. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap this up then. Um, thank you so much. This has been really insightful and a pleasure for me. Um, me too. Thank you. And you should get the book and get it signed. Thanks for coming, everyone. End of sentence. Yeah. Thanks, Roman. Yeah. Yeah.